you haven't been with us for the past about seven months, we've been in this series called Everyday Discipleship. And lo and behold, here we are at the last week. So we're wrapping it all up this week. Some of you are super excited about that. Uh, you're like, I'm ready to get on to something new. Um, but we're, we're gonna be wrapping it up today. And the whole idea of this series, to put it simply for you, is that we wanna be disciples or followers of Jesus in our everyday lives not just on Sundays, not in a small group during the week, but on Monday at the coffee shop and on Thursday with our coworkers, uh, that we wanna be disciples of Jesus in the everyday moments. And that's what we've been looking at. We've looked at it from a lot of different angles and we're kind of bringing it down to the ground as far as we can today. So it's gonna be really practical, uh, really applicable today, hopefully. So um, if you're a note taker, or maybe if you're not a note taker, maybe, maybe today's the day to take notes, not because of anything I have to say is awesome, but just because there might be some things that you might wanna come back to later and, and look at some of the language. So I would encourage you to follow along, take notes today, just a suggestion. So uh, we've looked at this text, John 4. This is the, the story of the woman at the well with Jesus. We've looked at this text a lot here at Ethos. We looked at it back in March and we've looked at it from a ton of different angles. And today I wanna take kind of a different angle for it uh, and look at it specifically from the idea and from the viewpoint of this everyday discipleship series that we've been in. So uh, we're gonna look and, and kind of see what it looks like for Jesus to live this out in everyday life, where every moment is an opportunity for God to work through him with purpose and awareness. And that, that's kind of where we're going. So let's jump into John 4. Uh, we're going to start in verse 4 and work through verse 15 or so. All right, John 4, verse 4. It says, And he, this is Jesus, and Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. You can kind of see the sarcasm there. Uh, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. Verse 13, uh, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here and draw water. So let me recap what's happened so far in the story for us. Jesus is traveling from Galilee, a region that he's spent a lot of time in. He's traveling south through the region of Samaria and he's traveling towards Jerusalem where he's gonna spend the, the rest of his ministry on earth. And while he's traveling through Samaria, um, they get tired and Jesus sends his disciples into the city to get food. And Jesus is thirsty. It's about noon in the middle of the day in, in the Middle East. You can imagine, like some of you are like, I'm thirsty now. Why did you say that? Um, it's, it's really hot. Jesus is tired and he sits down and the Samaritan woman walks up and Jesus asks for a drink. Um, and she's like, why are you talking to me? This is not cool. Like we don't do this. Um, there were some serious racial um, tensions between the Samaritans and the Jewish people that went back hundreds of years. And even on top of that, men did not talk to women in this way, if at all, in the first century. They were looked down upon and not given very much value 
But Jesus steps in, giving value to this woman, kind of leading the way for us today uh, to, to, to see women as valuable and equal. And he, he begins to talk to her and press into her life. And he responds, hey, if you knew who was asking you, you'd be asking me that question. And she responds with this barrage of questions. Number one, you don't have a bucket. Big problem if you're going to be wanting water, Jesus. So she responds to that. She's, okay, are you too good for this well? And she starts drawing on some historical things. And Jesus responds, uh, it kind of points out the flaw in her way of thinking, hey, my well satisfies forever um, and this well is going to run out. You got to come back to it. So that's what we just read. And let me summarize the rest of the story for you. We've been looking at, we've looked at the story in detail before, but basically what continues after this is Jesus begins to press deeper into her life to ask her some questions about um, some of the pain that she might've experienced for being divorced or widowed in her life and, and really begins to spend some time talking with this woman in a really intentional way. And because of this encounter with Jesus, this woman's life is radically transformed for the rest of her life. And she goes back to her village and begins proclaiming all that uh, she uh, found out about this man, Jesus. So um, like I said, we've looked at this story and the specifics a lot. Um, and today I don't wanna look so much at the specifics of what Jesus is saying with the living water or worship or any of those things. I wanna look at kind of the general perspective about how Jesus lives his everyday life that would allow for this encounter to happen and maybe see some things that we can learn for it. So first thing I'm gonna do is um, describe some observations that I see Jesus doing in this text. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back around and give us a framework for how we also might live the way that Jesus does. Sound good? So um, the first thing I think I see with Jesus is this idea of him living for God as he went. This is a, a phrase that shows up all over the scriptures. As they went, as Jesus was traveling here, as they were walking alongside the road. And um, so it says he's traveling through Samaria to Jerusalem. He gets tired and thirsty, uh, sends his disciples off on a Chick-fil-A run to the city. And, and, and he is sitting by the well because he's thirsty, right? This is nothing extraordinary here, right? He's thirsty. This is ordinary, boring, everyday life. He's not walking on water. He's not healing anybody. He's not telling a storm to stop. This is, this is just boring everyday life with Jesus right here. Just getting a drink of water. And, and as he was going, he encountered this woman at the well. And in this moment, Jesus is willing to be used by God. It, I can't, I was looking at this. And for the first time this week, I started to realize how tired Jesus must have been after walking in the heat all day long how thirsty he must have been, how hungry he must have been. And I was like, man, when I am tired and thirsty and hungry, I'm usually not willing to be used by God. Um, I, I am more often wanting to, to kind of take care of me, to look out for me, to be selfish of my needs. And I was blown away by how in tune with God Jesus was to even in the middle of his exhaustion to see what God was doing around him, to press into how God might want to use him. And in this moment, Jesus does not waste anything. He's living almost more than an everyday life. He's living an every moment life where every moment is an opportunity for God to work through him in some way. And I love that Jesus asks questions. That he doesn't just kind of, hey, will you get me a drink? Cool, thanks. You know, uh, he asks questions about our life. Hey, um, tell me about your past. That, um, he asks her questions about some potential pain that she's had with husbands in the past and impresses into her life more deeply about things that matter to her. And as a result of this, the woman encounters Jesus in this radical way and encounters his love and his grace and his mercy. So that's, that's what I see in Jesus. Now, I wanna go back and give us a framework for how we might live this way. And this is key here. This is not a formula. So I'm not about to give you, hey, seven steps to living like Jesus. 
uh, in your everyday life. This is not what this is. This is a framework that we can kind of see the world through uh, to try and live like Jesus lives. So uh, there's gonna be four big parts of this, okay? Uh, I'll go ahead and give them to you. The first one is abiding. The second one is awareness. Third one is discernment. The last one is action. Abiding, awareness, discernment, and action. And if you're like, man, you couldn't come up with a fourth A to make that all four A's alliteration. You're like, you have one job, pastor. Come on, like, get it together. You can come up with a a synonym for discernment that starts with A. Um, Ascertain, there you go. You can just write that down if you want. Uh, But we'll we'll start with abiding and, uh, and see how this informs everything that Jesus does. So back in February, this is where we started our Everyday Discipleship series. That if we want to live like Jesus, it has to start with an intimate uh, love relationship with God. And that if it, has to, if it starts anywhere else, then we are not living for or with Jesus. The people in, in Jesus' time that did things for God without knowing who God is, knowing God personally, uh, were the people that Jesus had the most harsh words for. I love in Luke 5.16, it, um, it says, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I love this ongoing picture that we get of Jesus where he would just kind of like disappear and like go pray and be alone with God, where this was a valuable part of his rhythm that I think informed a lot of the other things. In John 15, five, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, hey, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's given them this idea of, okay, I'm the source, I'm the vine and you're a branch. If you're disconnected from me, there's not gonna be any fruit. You can't do anything without me. It's what we sang earlier. For I can do nothing without you, nothing without you. That's why we sing those things. And Jesus is painting this picture that we have to be connected, abiding in him on a week to week, day to day basis. And that is gonna inform us uh, as we go throughout the world. I'm convinced that one of the reasons, the primary reasons that the disciples and that Jesus were so effective in their ministries and in their uh, living for God on mission is because they were good at abiding in God. It wasn't because of their intellect. These guys were not smart. They were fishermen. They were uneducated. Uh, It wasn't because of their experience. This is a totally new thing for them. Uh, It wasn't because of anything else other than the fact that they were like deeply pressing in to the heart of God. So if you're here today and you feel just inadequate to be used by God, uh, to know God, to see God work through you, maybe you feel like your past is too much of an obstacle. Uh, Maybe you feel like you don't have enough experience in talking or living for Jesus. Uh, Maybe you feel like right now your life is too much of a mess uh, to really be used by God. Hear me, all that is required is for you to abide, to press into God, to allow him to work in you. So we've talked about this a lot, so I don't wanna linger here, but um, here's the the summary for you. Um, Fruit for God is always rooted in time with God. If you get that backwards, uh, or if you get that out of whack, um, you're not gonna experience the true joys of living for God. Fruit for God is always rooted in time with God. We have to abide, we have to begin our days and our weeks faithfully um, uh, pressing into him if we ever wanna live for him. So that's abides, and that's gonna inform the rest of everything. Uh, That's where we start, that's where we begin. The second one is awareness. I love how aware Jesus was in this story in John 4. I I talked about this a moment ago, but he was so aware at how God was at work, where every moment was an opportunity for him to live 
uh, into the Father's will. And this is where I wanna introduce a concept that's gonna be maybe kind of new for some of you. Um, this is a concept that uh, about two years ago, someone began to explain to me and, and unpack for me and it totally shifted how I lived my everyday life and how I was aware and intentional in the places I was going. Um, for some of you, this is gonna be a big paradigm shift. It's gonna be very different than how you were taught growing up about how we move through life and how we live for Christ on mission. That's gonna be a relief and like good news for some of you. And um, so just a disclaimer, I can't explain this from every angle, but I'm gonna try and whet our appetites today uh, with this concept and we'll continue unpacking it as a family uh, in the months to come. Always down to get coffee and talk further about it if I totally botch this. So uh, this concept is called person of peace. So let's turn to Luke 10. This is where we're gonna get this, this idea. Um, Luke 10. Some of you had a place marker there and you're like, boom, already got it, nailed it. So Luke 10, we're gonna start in verse five and go through verse 11, just to give you a little bit of context because we're uh, kind of plopping down in the middle of this. Um, Jesus is sending out about 72 of his disciples, including the 12 disciples that kind of in his core group, he's sending them out on a mission uh, kind of in the surrounding cities. And, and as he's doing that, before they go, he's giving them some directions and some kind of words to live by. So let's pick it up, uh, Luke 10, verse five. He says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, um, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of the town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. So if, at first glance, that passage is a little weird. Like, can we be honest? It's like, okay, so my peace is gonna like rest on someone. And if not, it's gonna return to me. And there's like dust on my sandals. Like what is going on here? And uh, I thought the same thing at first, but as someone began to unpack this for me, it began to open a lot of door, open a lot of doors, excuse me, uh, for how I lived my everyday life. So um, let me summarize it this way. If you're, if you're taking notes, this is gonna be a, a phrase that, uh, that we worked from. The idea of a person of peace is someone that God has prepared ahead of time someone that God has prepared ahead of time to hear about or to encounter the love of Jesus in you. A person of peace is someone that God has prepared ahead of time to hear about or to encounter the love of Jesus in you. So in this text, what that looked like was them going from house to house in a city. And if that person welcomed them in, the idea is that there was peace between those two people, that there was receptivity between the disciples and, and that person that was receiving them. And Jesus says, if that happens, that's a person of peace. Stay there, invest in that house, invest in that relationship, stay there, eat and drink with them, proclaim about God, heal the sick, really invest there. He says, but, but if they don't receive you, don't worry about it. Shake the dust off your sandals, move on. It's not a big deal. That's the idea that Jesus is giving the disciples here. And um, so the, this idea that God has prepared in advance uh, people that you and I are uniquely prepared and wired to connect with in our everyday lives. 
Uh, And if that we are aware of it, we'll get to see God move in powerful ways. That's what this concept is, is getting at. So let me contrast this with the way that I grew up to maybe help explain this a little further. So I grew up uh, in a spiritual context that taught, um, if I did things correctly, every single person was equally receptive uh, to, to the gospel, to what I wanted to talk about with Jesus. And I needed to know the answers. I needed to know how to steer the conversation. Uh, we had like little booklets that you go through with people, like leave them on waiters tables. Some of you are like, I've been there. It's the worst. And um, that, that's how I grew up. And it was all based on my performance and on my ability to talk about Christ effectively. And if I did, then it worked. And if I didn't, then I need need to fix something. That's how I grew up. Maybe it sounds familiar to you. And what this did was put tremendous pressure on me and my performance. Do you ever feel that way? Like, oh, like every person I encounter is like their eternity is hanging in a balance on my ability to talk about Jesus. Like this is overwhelming pressure. So for me, I I just kind of came to the conclusion that I was like, I'm not good at this. I just kind of stopped. I, I didn't really want to interact with anyone along the surf, uh, uh, past the surface level. Um, on the opposite side, and what we were talking about in this idea, this concept of person of peace, God is the one moving ahead of time uh, in advance for us on our behalf and aligning us to interact with people throughout our day uniquely. And that when uh, we are aware of it, then, then we get to see God move when we step through those doors. It's almost as if God has written this play and uh, we're acting in it. And to us, it kind of seems like improv, but God has already written some scenes for us to work out in our lives. That's kind of the idea here. So what what could this look like? Um, We recognize these people of peace as people, for whatever reason, seem to welcome us into their lives and enjoy being around us. These are the people of peace, people who welcome us, who enjoy being around us. For whatever reason, they are receptive to our relationship with them. So this could be a coworker uh, that's open to an invitation for coffee after work. This could be a a neighbor that has a garden like you do and you get to strike up conversations with them. This could be literally anyone who has anything in common with you, right? Uh, You both like dogs, you both like rock climbing, but it, it may be something so basic as just being thirsty like Jesus in John 4. And this is the idea, people of peace that for whatever reason are receptive to us. And I've noticed this with uh, our new dog, Coda, me and Virginia, my wife, just got a new golden retriever puppy. He is objectively the cutest puppy in the world. Um, and I'll fight you to defend that. He is awesome. Uh, aside from the house training, he is awesome. And, uh, but I've noticed everyone who I interact with while I have Coda with me is a person of peace now because everyone likes that dog. Like I'll go on walks and people are just like coming out of their doors like, oh puppy, like, hey, what's your name? I'm like, wow, that was easy. I've met more of my neighbors in a week than I have in 18 months of living at my, living at my house. I'm like kind of proud and ashamed of that at the same time. It's like, man, this is awesome. Walking down the road, get to talking with somebody, sharing stories, hey, where are you from? It's like, wow, that sounds a lot like Jesus at the well, right? Just kind of going throughout your life, for whatever reason, you connect with somebody, strike up a conversation, get to press deeper, ask questions about their life. This is the idea of person of peace. Now, will we step out and encounter people who this isn't the case with, people that are not people of peace? Yes, but there's an allowance by Jesus for that, right? He's like, hey, it's water off the duck's bag. Just let it roll off you. It's not a big deal. And I, I then don't walk in this shame and guilt of not performing correctly. And I I don't know about you, but as I began to really live into this, it opened a world of opportunities in my day-to-day life. 
So I know this might be a little bit confusing and different. We'll keep talking about it through our other points and hopefully this will flesh out a little bit more. So uh, if we are abiding in Christ on a daily basis, uh, connecting with the heart of God, and as we go throughout our day and we're aware of how God is already moving on our behalf, then as we meet these people of peace, what do we do? What's the next step? And I think the next step is to discern with God. This is gonna be our third point in this framework. So what do we do? Um, the idea here that I wanna kind of press forward is that we are in step, we're listening to the Holy Spirit in real time. That in a moment by moment basis, we are interacting with God and we can discover how God wants us to respond in that moment. We see this all over the scriptures, uh, this happening all the time. For example, in Matthew 10, verse 20, Jesus sends out the disciples on a similar mission uh, that we just read in Luke 10. He says, don't worry about what you're gonna say, um, or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it won't be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. In other words, there's this real time, uh, active listening to the Holy Spirit, where we get to discover from God how to respond in these moments. So I wanna give you a question to ask to help us discern. Uh, so when you encounter these people of peace and God kind of triggers your uh, um, he kind of gets a hold of your thoughts and says, hey, this might be a person that I, wanna, uh, I want you to interact with on a deeper level. What do you do in that moment? How do we discern? Um, because every situation is different, right? Every person is uniquely different. And each situation uh, requires a different response that only God knows what to give. So here's the question. When you encounter these people of peace in your life, here's what I want you to ask of God kind of in your heart. Presence or proclaim? Question mark. Presence or proclaim? This is the question I want us to use to discern from God how we respond in these moments. And this is gonna lead us to our fourth point of our framework, action. Because if we discern from God that he is inviting us to respond, we, we have to follow through in action. We can't just hear and neglect the voice of God. So how is this gonna look? Presence or proclaim? So I think if God can, can help us see both sides of this coin, uh, this will be a really useful tool for us. So what does presence look like? Presence is what I would say is uh, like what the scriptures describe as the aroma of Christ, kind of the scent of Jesus. Um, if you're driving down the road and at least is cooking their brisket in the morning, it's like, you're like, man, that smells good. And it's like, you, you don't see it, you don't encounter it, but you know that something good is happening, right? It's this idea that if we have been abiding in Christ, uh, that the others will kind of pick up on the scent of him in our lives. So what does this look like? I think this can look like listening to people, just listening, not offering anything but, but your presence to listen, to listen to their stories and their pain, the, the things that they've been through, their joys, what they're going through, serving them in some way. This could be mowing your neighbor's lawn while they're on vacation. This could be... Um, Encouraging a coworker at work when they're going through a hard time. Presence is simply being there for people, doing life with them, going bowling with your coworkers, like just being uh, in the same physical location is what this idea is of presence is about. And, and an important point here is that this is not driven out of fear of talking about Jesus, right? Um, this is driven out of discerning from God, okay, this is a moment where you just want me to live out in front of them some of the things that you're doing in me. So we've been talking about this the past month. How do we live out our journey with Jesus in front of others as he shapes us and transforms us? How do we share our suffering with people in a way that points them to God? 
This is what we've been talking about over the past month. This is the life of presence. And this is gonna be really present in, in relationships that are more long-term, where you kind of get to journey with someone over the course of a season or uh, a few years. And they get to see you living for Christ in your day-to-day life. And in that, God might invite you to proclaim. And that's gonna be the, the other part of this, proclaim. So what, is, what does proclaiming look like? So this is the more explicit pointing to Jesus. Uh, this is uh, in word or deed, talking uh, about Jesus himself or your experience with God. So this could be literally explaining who Jesus is and what Jesus has done to, to someone. It could be praying for someone, encouraging someone with the truth of God. This is proclaiming. That, that's what Jesus does in John 4, right? He encounters this woman and he's aware of what God's doing. And in that moment, I, I think Jesus is discerning, okay, what is the step? What is the, what is the thing that God wants me to step into here? And he presses deeper with her, begins talking about spiritual things, about things that matter. And as a result, like we've talked about, this girl, uh, this woman puts her faith in Christ and transforms her. So this doesn't have to look like what I'm doing right now, preaching, like that, that's not all what proclaiming is. So I wanna take some of the intimidation out of this for us. This is like, how do you talk to your coworkers and your classmates and your family? What are the things that you talk about to them? A lot of times uh, we, we advocate or uh, encourage people, hey, ask how you can pray for your coworkers or the people in your life. Um, that's a great thing uh, to do, but it, it could kind of feel a little uh, weird or awkward. So um, I just wanna like lay it out for you. How could this look if you were to ask a coworker to pray for them? Um, most people are not gonna be like, absolutely not. Get away from me. <laughs> they're not, they're not going to do that most of the time. If you say, hey man, um, I, I don't know if this is, this is weird for you if you believe in this, but um, I just wanted to ask, is, is there any way I could be praying for you this week? Is there anything going on in your life that you'd just like me to pray for? Most of the time people are going to say, I mean, maybe, I guess you can, you can pray for my brother. He's going through a really hard time right now. He's looking for a job. It's like, great. I'd love to pray about that. And then actually pray for him. Like what a novel concept, right? Let's, like pray for those people and then follow up with them. Hey, uh, a couple weeks ago, I asked you and you, you, you talked about your brother. Man, I've been praying for that. Um, is there anything new with that? Is there any, anything that, that I can be thinking about or praying for about? Just wanted to, to check up on, see how that's going. People are gonna, are gonna respond to that in a positive manner most of the time. Uh, this could look like in your time of abiding in the morning, asking God, say, okay, God, is there a uh, word of encouragement from the scriptures that you want me to give this person? Um, is there a specific word or um, a question or thing that you want me to talk to them about? Will you, will you reveal that to me? And then saying, hey, man, I, I was reading the Bible this morning. I don't know if you ever read in the Bible, but I read this verse that really reminded me of your brother. I just wanted to, to share it with you. Is that okay? Like, just share it with them. This is, I just wanted to share it with you. I thought it might be encouraging. Have a great, have a great afternoon. It's like, that, that's what this is about. That's proclaiming. That, that's what it looks like to, in our everyday moments, discern in real time with the Holy Spirit and then to respond in real time by asking God, okay, is this a presence moment? You just want me to serve? Do you want me to love? Is this a proclaiming moment? Do you want me to ask a question? Uh, sometimes God will give you a specific thing to say. Just like we talked about in Matthew 10. Don't worry about what you're gonna say. The Holy Spirit is gonna be speaking through you. Just like trust in the Holy Spirit, discern in real time and respond. Before we end, I wanna bring this back to John 4 because um, it's important that this idea that we're leaning into today is grounded in the gospel, in the love and the truth and the grace of who God is. 
Um, because the dark side of this concept is leaving and saying, great, I just get to hang out with people that talk like me and like the things that I like and, and do the things that I do and look like me. And that's, that's missing it. That's when this concept is not rooted in uh, the gospel and the truth of God. I'm not advocating for you to go homogenize all of your relationships uh, in the world. And that is evidenced by Jesus in John 4, a Jewish male rabbi talking with a Samaritan woman. Um, there, there could not be people in that culture who were much further apart in, in terms of common interests and common things that they, they can share together. They were just thirsty. Uh, so this is, this is still, Jesus has called us to go into the places of the marginalized in our city, to go and, and offer presence uh, to the people experiencing homelessness in our city, uh, to, to do life with people who are different, that look different, that believe different, that, that act different. And in those moments, still being aware, okay, God, is this, this is a person of peace for me? Is there, is there something you want me to respond in this moment about? That's what this is about. This is, um, this is pressing in, going beyond our comfort zones uh, so that God can move through us. It's not about how well we perform, how educated we are, how experienced we are. This is about discovering the ways that God is already working in our lives, stepping into those opportunities in faith. So as we close, um, around our tables for the next eight or 10 minutes, these are the two questions that I want you to wrestle with, with the people that are at your tables. <clears throat> Here's the first one. Who are the people of peace in my life? It's the first question. Who are the people of peace in my life? Second question. How can I discern how God is leading me to take action? how to respond. How can I discern how God is asking me to respond? Is that presence? Is there some steps I can take there with this person? Is that proclaiming? Is there some steps I can take in that area with this person? We're going to give you eight or 10 minutes to just kind of discuss what God is doing in your heart today uh, at the tables, to share the areas that God might be asking you to take some steps, to share some fears, to share some worries about this maybe. Um, and uh, we're going to give you eight to 10 minutes. Make sure to talk and, and just share with each other. Take communion together. Um, this is our weekly reminder in a physical way uh, that we, like what we talked about earlier, um, Christ has died for every moment, every moment. And, and we celebrate the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ in communion. So take communion uh, with your table uh, and pray together. And then in about uh, seven or eight, 10 minutes, Jared will um, lead us back into a time of worship through song for a few more minutes. That sound good? Let me pray for us and, uh, and, th and then we'll enter into a time of, of sharing and communion. God, may we never seek to uh, serve or do anything for you without having uh, experienced who you are, without abiding in you. I pray that today, um, as we've looked at your word about how you interact people on a day-to-day -day basis, that you would stretch us, that you would um, call us into more, that you would push us beyond our just uh, shallow interactions with people and into this exciting adventure where we get to discover how you're already working around us. God, give us boldness, give us courage to step out in faith and follow you, trusting that you will give us what we need. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen.